So at the start of this new decade, we want to ask a really significant question. Jesus is Lord. So what? So what? It's a massive question and has the potential to revolutionize our lives. So over the next four weeks, there will be four different people who are going to share some biblical stuff about this, but also their experience about what Jesus being Lord of their life actually means. But we need to answer that question for ourselves. We need to answer that question for ourselves. I would challenge us to take a journey with the Holy Spirit over these coming weeks to ask that question. What does it really mean to my life if Jesus is Lord? It doesn't matter whether we've been a Christian for a day or for decades. There will be stuff that the Holy Spirit shows us as we invite him in to do an audit of our lives. What impact does Jesus being Lord have on the way that I live my Monday to Sunday? What impact does it have on the way I make decisions, on how I prioritise things? Does it have an impact? Does it have an impact about the way I do relationships, about my work, about how I allocate my time, how I allocate my money, how I allocate my heart. Should it influence what I watch, what I listen to, what I read, who I hang out with, what I long for? Those deepest desires of our heart. How does Jesus being Lord impact that? How do I spend my leisure time? What I eat, what I drink, what I wear, where I live, what I prioritise, what I value. The list of questions is endless. Absolutely endless. Have you ever wondered how different your life would be if you'd made a certain decision or not made a certain decision. Now, I'm not talking about introspective nasal gazing here and looking back with regret. I'm not talking about that. But have you ever thought how different your life would be? I often ponder the fact that we thought we'd moved to Billericay when we first got married because it had a good train line to London and we were both working in London. We wanted somewhere where we were not known as Peter and Joyce's son and daughter-in-law, or Roberta and Graham's daughter or son-in-law. We wanted somewhere new. We thought we were making that decision out of selfish things. When I look back now, I look at that decision that we made, and I recognised that has completely transformed the path of our life. Yes, we prayed into it. But I can't say with any great, oh God, where do you want us? It was more like we've seen a house, we like it, God, can we have it? If I'm honest. So over these next four weeks, we are going to look at that question. 
How different would you like, would your life be if you hadn't made Jesus Lord? Or how different would it be, could it be, if you made him totally Lord, completely Lord of your life? So that's the journey that we're going to take over the next four weeks. So put your seats in the upright position. Fasten your seatbelts. You're not going to hold on for dear life. You're going to enjoy the journey. And I guarantee you, as we do these next four weeks, you will land in a different destination. I will guarantee you. Let's pray. Father God, as we embark on actually looking at what it means to make you Lord of our life. I give you, Holy Spirit, permission in my life to do an audit, to show me those areas where you're not completely Lord, to show you those areas, to show me those areas in my life that need tweaking and changing. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be moving in our midst And that we would be open to you. That we would cooperate with you. I want to thank you, Father, that through the worship this morning, you've been reassuring us of your love and that restoration of our souls. And we know when we make you Lord, when we make you Lord, there is just this huge, vast, wide, amazing plan that you have for our lives so I pray Lord in the journey even when it might feel a bit bumpy and there's a bit of turbulence that we would trust you and you would get us to the place where you want us to be amen so let's build a picture from scripture about the lordship of Jesus And I'm going to share some of my journey with you, the good, the bad and the ugly, being open and transparent about some of the stuff that I have battled with over the years. Jesus said this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day when I judge them, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and driven out demons in your name and done many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them publicly, I never knew you. Depart from me. You are banished from my presence. You who act wickedly, disregarding my commands. That's quite a tough passage. That is a really hard passage to get our head around. But I believe God's given me some keys as I've been praying into this and looking at this. Now this this bit of scripture came at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So basically Jesus' manifesto for kingdom living, how he wants us to live. And then he added this at the end of that passage that we have just read. His final sign-off was this. If you hear what I'm saying and you do it, you are building your life on a solid foundation. 
that will withstand the storms of life. But if you don't put into action what I'm saying, you are foolish and your life will end in disaster. The wise man built his house upon the rock and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. That was the premise of after all Jesus has preached about the priorities for kingdom living, then that thing about making him Lord, he then ends with wise and foolish builders. As I read that passage about making Jesus Lord and when he said, I never knew you, there were a couple of things that leapt out at me. Because Jesus was not just saying, or what he was saying was, we mustn't just call him Lord, we must make him Lord. And there is a huge difference in saying something and doing something, being something. So what clues do we have in this passage of how we make him Lord? Well, I think it's really simple. I think there's two things. The first one is doing the will of the Father. The second one is doing what Jesus commands us to do. It's not complicated. But in the middle of that, in the middle of that, there is sandwiched something that I think is the central core truth that the other two things come out of. And it's when Jesus said to them, I never knew you. They said, we did all of this for you, Lord. We prophesied in your name. We drove out demons. You know, these are believers. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Now that word, that word new, from the original Greek, it means to know through personal experience, to know, understand, perceive, have knowledge of. There's a depth in that knowing. It's just, it's not a casual thing. So sometimes when we're trying to get a real understanding of the word, we look at where that word appears in other parts of scripture because it it gives us a context. So that word, to know, is the same word that's used in Matthew one twenty-five, Christmas story, when it says that Joseph knew her not, talking about Mary, until she'd given birth to a son. Now what that doesn't mean is Joseph walks into a room, Mary's sitting there and he goes, oh, I don't know her. It's not that kind of knowing, it's a deep, intimate knowing. What it means is, I didn't have sex with her. That's what that means. It's a really intimate knowing. You couldn't know that person in a deeper way. That's that knowing. So when Jesus said, I never knew you, he's talking about a deep, intimate heart connection. So Jesus is saying here that calling him Lord is empty and just shallow words if we don't allow him to really know us really know us, deeply know us. He doesn't recognize us through superficiality. That's not how Jesus operates. This passage is saying that he won't recognize us if we don't, if we just have a casual relationship with him. There's a picture that Jesus is trying to paint. It's also saying that he's not going to recognize him if we're just doing things for him and not with him. 
And there's a huge difference. There's a huge, huge difference. When we know somebody through a deep heart connection, they impact us. They impact the way we think. They impact the way we behave. They impact our priorities. When I got married to Andy, when he got married to me, we changed. We didn't force change on each other. That's control, manipulation. We don't have that. That's not godly. But when, you, when you're intimately connected with someone, when you're really close to someone, they have an impact on you and you have an impact on them. You, you do. And out of that place of deep heart connection with his father, Jesus said he only ever did what he saw his father doing. He wasn't off doing his own merry thing. It was that deep connection with his heavenly father that was where Jesus' ministry flowed out of. In John 5.19, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. That, that, should, that should be us. Jesus is saying that doing things in his name is not enough if we are not doing it, knowing that it's God's will and doing it in God's way. If you like, we're Jesus' ambassadors on earth. We're representing him and he wants us to represent him well. Our doing for him has to come out of that deep heart connection. A deep heart connection. I I can't emphasize that enough. That's why worship is so important to us. And sometimes we may feel uncomfortable because it just feels, oh my goodness, I can't just sing this song and remain impartial. You know, it might make us feel something in our hearts. We might want to cry. We, you know, that's okay because it's that facilitating that heart connection with our Heavenly Father. And the sentiment of this passage is echoed in 1 Corinthians 13, that amazing passage about love. But it speaks about if we do things in the wrong way, we might as well not bother doing them at all. We can speak in tongues, we can prophesy, we can have words of knowledge, we can heal the sick, we can be generous. But if we're not motivated by a heart of love, the heart of our Heavenly Father, then we're told it's worthless. And again, that seems really harsh, but it's not because what God's trying to say is, I want your hearts. I want you to operate out of a heart response to me, not because you think you've got to do it to tick a box to get into heaven. That's not how this works. It is not how this works. So doing the will of our Father, that number one thing from that passage is doing it from a heart of love, doing what we see the Father doing. We were doing healing rooms training yesterday. There is no sickness in heaven. So we can guarantee God does not want sickness on earth. So praying for the sick is part of God's will. We're not doing it to get brownie points. We're not doing it to... You know, get promotion when we get up there. <clears throat> We're doing it because it's the Father's heart for people. Do you, 
do you, do you, do you, are you getting this? Because actually, you know, I know for myself, growing up in church, I had this thing of, I have to do for God. I have to be good enough for God. I have to tick the boxes for God. And it's not that. It's relationship, relationship, relationship. So that's doing things according to the way God wants them. And then the other thing I mentioned from that passage was that to do what Jesus commanded us to do. When asked what was the greatest commandment, Jesus said this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love the, your neighbour as yourself. It's in the Passion Translation, different translations just bring out... Um, Different flavours, different essence of the Bible. I find it helpful sometimes to flick between translations because it gives me a, a, a greater understanding. And it says this, the most important of all the commandments is that the Lord Yahweh, our God, is one. You are to love the Lord Yahweh, your God, with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is in you and with all your strength. That's pretty much all of you, I think. I think that's what that's saying. It's everything. To make Jesus Lord means that we obey what he commands us, which means that we love God with every passion of your heart. What are you passionate about? I am passionate about my family. I am passionate about this family so I seek to always partner with God in what he's doing and what he's wanting to do in my family's life, in this family's life. I have to lay down my agenda, my motives, and always put God first. To seek God with every passion of your heart and release those things to him. As many of you know, Sarah has recently moved up to London, and we have had to go through a process of releasing her. Yes, we're going to miss her, obviously. But I am so excited about what God has planned for her. So actually, giving her an open door to go, rather than thinking of, oh dear, I'm really going to miss you. Actually, that's loving God with every passion of my heart, because it's surrendering those things to him. And as parents, just as an aside here, as parents, sometimes that can be really painful and really difficult. And you would rather not do it. But actually, don't ever stop your kids doing what God wants them to do. Our greatest prayer that we have ever prayed for our kids and the most dangerous prayer that we have ever prayed for our kids is God, have your way in their life. Have your way in their life. And actually we need to do that throughout our families, with our spouses, with our other loved ones. God, have your way in their life. And then we get to partner with God in enabling that to happen. It's so exciting. So we love God with every passion of our heart, with all the energy of our being, with all your soul. Do you give God your passions and the things that delight you? Or are there no-go areas for God? With every thought that is within you, do we focus on what is true and noble and lovely and of good report? 
Do we always believe the best of others as God does? Are we ready to forgive and move on when we need to? Or do we dwell on the past and the pain and the hurt? That is not loving God with every thought that is within us. Loving God with all your strength. Do we give God the best of us? Or does he just get the dregs that's left at the end of the day? When we can't barely keep our eyes open and wonder why we fall asleep when we're praying or reading the Bible. But as I've said, this all pivots on us allowing ourselves to have an intimate heart connection with Jesus. This will flow out of that. This will flow out of that. Yes, we have decisions to make about how we prioritise life, how we spend our time and money. But we know, but when we know God more intimately, his priorities become our priorities. I heard it said a little while ago that it's a really good indicator of how much of our lives Jesus had lordship over if we look at our diaries and if we look at our bank accounts. And I thought, oh, that's a bit deep. That's a bit intrusive. But as I thought about it and reflected on my own life, I realised actually those two things are a really good audit tool, if you're into audit, are a really good audit tool of assessing how much does Jesus have lordship on my life. Over this last year, actually we started in January 2019, Andy and I felt really challenged through some stuff that Karen had said to us about keeping a Sabbath day. Because actually we both work and we lead the church. So this morning is wonderful, but it's not our day off. Just, you know, we're up early, we're here and all that, which is wonderful and it's great and I wouldn't change, but it's not our day off, actually. And so we felt really challenged by God because you always justify, oh, well, I need to see that person or I need to send that email or I've got to do that preparation for that talk. And actually, you squeeze out time, not that we weren't having time with God, but actually a Sabbath a Sabbath, a day of rest. So we felt really challenged by this and thought, okay, we, we need to look at our diaries. We need to reprioritize what we do, how we do it. And so we've been on a journey with that over the last year. Now, I'm not saying we've got it completely sorted. I've been honest with you. We haven't, but we are significantly better than we had been in making sure that we are blocking out time. And what does a Sabbath look like? Does it look like just sitting at home all day reading the Bible? No, it doesn't. What it looks like is stopping from work, having rest, contemplating God, having space for God in the day, doing things that rejuvenate us, that we enjoy, whether it's going for a walk, whether it's doing gardening, whether it's having a meal with friends and family. Being intentional about those things, but intentionally stopping other stuff. Andy disconnects from social media for 24 hours. That is a big thing for my husband. But he, because it's part of who he is and, and how he communicates so amazingly. But actually, God's really challenged him. Now, for other people, that won't be an issue. But actually, it's hearing that for ourselves. What does it look like to have time out with God? 
Now, when you've got young children, obviously they need to be cared for and looked after. I'm not saying, you know, right, kids, we're off for 24 hours. See you soon, you know, home alone, my goodness. I'm not, but actually, how do you do it as family? How do you do Sabbath as family? Teach the children in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. You see, when we forget the vitality and the vitalness of that intimate connection with Jesus, we get into our own striving and our own stress. Jesus said this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me has intimate connection, is closely connected to. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do Nothing, absolutely nothing of worth and value, I would add. So that we did all this stuff in your name, Jesus. And he says, I don't know you. Because we weren't doing it. They weren't doing it from that place of abiding with him, that intimate heart connection. The passage goes on to say, if anyone does not abide in me he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you that is an incredible promise incredible promise but it comes from a place of abiding of intimate heart connection In another version, abide is translated life union. It's that intimate heart connection stuff again. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing of worth and value in the kingdom. I know that unless I have that deep heart connection with Jesus... Whatever I do is of no value and of no worth. So my my priority has got to be continuing to be in that place of abiding with him. And that whole thing of what do we allow to encroach on our time and what do we prioritise in, in, in our time? We've been um, encouraging people to read the Bible in a year. It's been brilliant, actually, because we haven't, and we're not going to ask for a show of hands or who, of who's doing it. We've not even asked people if they're doing it. But it's been great in conversation with people. And they go, do you know I'm doing that Bible in a year, stuff? It's so good, isn't it? And if you've not started it yet, it's not too late. You can pick up at any time. It's the Bible in a Year app. So you can easily get it. It's free. You can listen to it. You can read it. You can buy a book. Or you can actually get emails. So, you know. Just just encouraging. D.L. Moody said this about the Bible. It's not just for our information, but for our transformation. I love that. But it will only transform us if we are reading it. If you keep your Bible on the shelf, you know, you might pass your hand over it. You can even pray over it. It's going to do nothing, actually, because you're not reading it. You're not digesting it. It's a bit like food, isn't it? If it sits on the plate, it's not going to do any good. You have to physically cut it up and eat it. So, I would encourage you, if you haven't, consider it. You might be doing something else, which is great and fine, but please get into the Word of God. So, what about Jesus is Lord of our bank accounts? (gasps) Jane, you can't speak about money in church. 
Well, I'm going to speak about my journey with money and be very honest about it. I've shared, for those of you who've been part of this family for a long time, on many occasions, that I used to really, really struggle with giving. Andy didn't. We both brought up in very different ways. So I really struggled with it. But we gave. We we gave 10% of our income. And I was not a cheerful giver. We were giving out of um, sacrifice. We were giving out of sacrifice. It wasn't we had 10% more than we needed every month because we didn't. We were giving out of sacrifice. And I would sit in church some Sundays and I would think, well... That's that holiday I've wanted, just gone in the offering bucket or whatever. Do you know, it was, I was thinking about it of what I'd given away. I tried to bargain with God and thinking, okay, God, and he's got business expenses. You know, he's self-employed, he's got business expenses. So we'll give you 10%, but we'll give it to you after his business expenses. Or we'll give you 10%, but we'll give it to you after tax. Or, and every time I tried to make it work, we were worse off than before. So eventually bit slow on this eventually I was like God I'm not going to beat you on this one am I I'm I'm really sorry but I need your help because I am struggling big time with this and then God showed me very simply Jane it's seed that you're sowing you're sowing seed and a farmer when he sows seed expects to get more back then what he sowed. That's the principle. And there's so many scriptures that I then read about sowing and about honouring God with our money. And what had felt like a duty became a joy. Because I realised I had been being disobedient to God. And Jesus was Lord of so many bits of my life. But actually the finance stuff was a biggie for me. Might not be for you. you. You guys might be like, Jane, oh, poor thing. You know, we should have prayed for you sooner. But I'm being honest. It was a real battle for me. Because I realised that if Jesus was Lord of my life, he was Lord of all of my life. Not just Lord of some of my life. And that included our money. And it's been really interesting as we've been, as, as Andy and I stepped into church leadership because there's a greater responsibility now because we have responsibility for the monies, the very generous gifts that are given into the life of the church. We're, we're responsible, along with our other key leaders, of how those monies are distributed. Do you know it's an absolute joy that we give away over 20% of the monies that come into this place? An absolute joy. We look for opportunities to give. And have we ever not had enough as a church family? No. Because the more we give, the more we get in. It's a bit like the Dead Sea. Those of us who went to Israel um, last year, the Dead Sea, nothing flows in and nothing flows out. And it's actually getting smaller because more water is evaporating than is being added to it because it's in a very dry country. Think about that. Nothing's coming in, nothing's going out. It's a very dry country. So actually, if we stop that flow of our finances out, 
There's no, there's, there's no kind of cycle that God can then use. I can remember Rick Murrow, one of the founders of our um, network, um, said once in a preach that he was giving um, some advice to some people who were in real debt. Now, this is brave. I don't think, being honest, I don't know if I could do that. And he said to them, what are you giving? And they went, well, nothing we can't afford to. He went, you can't afford not to. And I thought, actually, that's very true. That is very true. Anyway, that's just part of me. And it's been a joy for Andy and I, as God has then said, okay, increase the percentage that I want you to give away. It's an absolute joy that we can be a blessing to others in every area of our life. Jesus is Lord, not just, Jesus is Lord of all and not just Lord of some. There should be no competition in our hearts. No competition in our hearts. We sing a Matt Redmond song. It's called The Heart of Worship. And one of the lines of that song is, All I have is yours, every single breath. And we sing it. It's great, isn't it? It's a really lovely song. All I have is yours, Lord. Yes, yes, yes. All I have is yours, but not that. Or but not that. So let's just pause for a minute. What does that mean for us in reality? That Jesus, all I have is yours, every single breath. All of my time, all of my money, all of my relationships, all of my hopes, all of my dreams, all of my potential, all of my future, all of my past, we can give him our past, no matter how good, bad, or indifferent it is, and he will redeem it and restore it. When Jesus is Lord, he's my first love. It's from positioning him as Lord that I get everything else. Holy Spirit, would you search our hearts? And would you show us if there is any, any area in our lives where we need to do a bit of readjusting, of reprioritizing. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are so gentle and so kind that this isn't about beating us up, but it's about making us more like Jesus. And God, you know, I haven't got this sorted. Nobody in this room has got this sorted. But God, we want to go on a journey with you to become completely and utterly consecrated to you. So that in answer to that question, Jesus is Lord, so what? We say so everything. So everything. In Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 8, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. God has the very best for us. 
He wants us to partner with him in the way that we live our lives, in the decisions that we make. In every decision, he wants to be involved. I'm just going to play the song, actually, that we used last week as part of our um, commissioning service when we took communion. And it's Here I Bow. And just use that as a, as a way of just allowing God the space to minister and to show us any areas where we need to change. Where would I run but to the throne of mercy? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Amen.